I'm Paul Wingraff, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today with Delaware State of the Arts. Joining me remotely is Scott Mason, the President of Chapel Street Players and an Honorary Dame Edna Understudy. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me here. I can't believe after all these years of doing this show and all the years that you've been involved in the arts here in Delaware that we, we haven't had that before. Let's well, not that we can remember, you know. Not that we can, right, not that we can remember. In any case, why, uh, I, I'd love to focus on two things uh, today with you. Uh, first, uh, Chapel Street Players, your role as the president of the board, to talk a little bit about what Chapel Street Players has been going through during this COVID era, and then uh, shift over to your work as, uh, as an actor. Uh, let's, uh, let's first start, though, with Chapel Street Players. Uh, with the closure of the state pretty much in mid-March, uh, talk about Chapel Street, how that impacted you initially, uh, what you've been doing in the meantime, and what kind of thinking, planning has been moving forward for you and the organization? Well, it was very interesting, Paul, because we had a board meeting, I believe it was uh, maybe March 7th or March 8th, and and you know, the news had been on for quite some time, but Delaware had not had a case yet. And I, I just sort of at the end of the agenda put, do we need to be thinking about the coronavirus? And pretty much the consensus was, no, it's not in Delaware, it'll be okay. That was, and like I said, maybe 7th or 8th of March. By the following weekend, boom, uh, everything had turned around. And we had, uh, an emergency meeting after well, after the state shut down, we had an emergency meeting over Zoom, and we have one sh we had one show in the queue. The set is on the stage. Many theaters are in the same boat. The set is on the stage. It was supposed to open in mid-April. It was already props and you know set to go. Not too far away from tech. And I had actually just cast the female and classic version of The Odd Couple, which was to be two shows running simultaneously in the June fundraiser slot. And I had just called a meeting, uh, first meeting of each cast, and I had to cancel the female version and go to Zoom because a lot of the female cast said, no, we don't want to meet, um, for whatever, you know, various reasons. And then I met with the male cast, we all stayed quite a ways apart. And this is early on. This is sort of right after mid-March. And of course, everybody from the April show and the June show were saying the whole next couple of weeks, people were calling, well, we're we going to do it in June, meaning the April show, and then we'll move the June show to July because in July I have a business conference to go to. Maybe, maybe I have a bit. And it was really, honestly, Paul, and I'm sure this is a feeling that is not unique or Chapel Street and, and leadership of, of, of Chapel Street, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming almost every other day. A new piece of information was coming out. Suddenly New York and all the cases in Jersey and states were closing and, and, and things on the national scale. And it, it, it just, it, it was this big guessing game. So I spoke with my vice president for artistic production, and, and that's the person who works putting the slate together and then works with the directors. And we had a long conversation and I, her name is Michelle Cullen. And I said, Michelle, it, it's, 
this is just a, a big guessing game. And we could say, yeah, we're going to do the April show in June. And a week from now, we can't. So why don't we just push this way out? And we had just chosen our, our season runs like the school year, September to June. And we had just chosen the 2021 season and just gotten the royalties and the rights, paid all the bucks up front, scripts. And we just made the, the decision and the board supported it 100% that we said, look, we can't, we can't move forward. So we basically took, we said, we'll do the April show in September. We'll do the June show in this November, December area. And we'll finish out our current season before the end of the year. And then we'll, we'll do a calendar season, something new and outside the box. We'll start with the show in January, which would have been the, the third show of our season. We'll make it the first. And, and then what should have been in the fall of 20, we'll shift to 21. And everybody thought that was a great plan then. <laughs> and the next day, new uh, proclamations came. <laughs> now, we lasted, we've lasted, Paul, pretty long with that decision because at that point, I, I believe at that point, the governor had said, sort of had this until May 15th, sort of was it? Right, right. And, and again, nobody, nobody, I mean, we just don't know. We didn't know. We still don't know. Um, are the cases, with, is the quarantine going to make the cases go down dramatically? Is there going to be more research? I mean, we, it's every day, as you well know, anybody who watches the news it's something new every day and so we've made it to almost June 1st with this current plan but based on wonderful whether it's uh, town hall meetings or webinars zoom meetings that DDOA and and the, the Delaware Arts Alliance and Small Business Association I've been to so many different town halls and zooms and and we're all in the same boat, so I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. It's not a complaint. It's just, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. And the more pieces we take in, whether it's myself or other board members, we're slowly realizing, especially with how small Chapel Street is, we only seat 150. So as long as social distancing of six feet stays intact throughout the summer with these phases, and if they're successful and we have no hiccups and yada, 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 we just don't know if we can afford to do a full royalty show in September, you know, even if, and then the other big question as you and, and I and other arts organizations talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, our patrons skew 50 and older typically. Right. And are they going to want to come out? Uh, you know, I've talked to some actors that are involved with odd couple and and some of the actors don't. I mean, no matter what safety precautions we take, some of the actors are like, I'm not sure I want to come to rehearsal. And I, I respect that. It's everybody's personal choice. Everyone, you know, some people have children. Some people have older parents living with them. Mm -hmm. and, or some are trying to get back to work and the priorities are earning money. Mm -hmm. Most of the, the, the nonprofits that I've been involved with don't have paid staff. It's all volunteers. So I can't say, well, if you don't come out and do this show, you'll never work for Chapel Street again. <laughs> so, you know, so now we're just, we decided that probably by the end of July, we have a board, we have, we have a June board meeting come up, but probably by the end of July, 
we're going to have another emergency decision and whether it's it's whether it's being careful and not moving forward with the season and then people will say oh see we could have done it we'd rather just make a decision and stick with it and then people can get on with their lives yeah yeah this is not our full-time job right you know you, you raised an interesting point and you know with the uh you know, thinking about your space and, and how do you space your audience members out, uh, you know, you can sort of map that out on a, on a piece of paper, but then you've got the issue of how do you funnel them through your lobby? You know, what do you do during intermission? You know, how do you control, you know, crowding at the bathroom? And, and then at the end of the show, you and I know what a theater looks like at the end of the show. It's a mad dash for the door. So right. how, how do you control all of that in any performing arts venue? And then, you know, as you said, yeah, it's, it's one thing to protect the audience members from each other, but how do you then protect the actors, the performers from the audience or the performers from each other? I mean, it's, it's a, a lot of challenges that, uh, uh, that we face. I'm, I'm curious, um, uh, with, you, you mentioned royalties. How have the companies been uh, that you rent the scripts from have I, I would imagine they've had to be pretty flexible in their operations. Well, uh, yes, and and shocking. Well, of course, Broadway closed. I believe that Broadway closed before even there was a case in Delaware, and and with that happening with with that significant statement, I was I was surprised because I, I you know I don't want to hopefully none of the the royalty houses are listening. <laughs> you know, they're not always the easiest people to deal with uh, when it's not Corona. And and I was shocked that uh, when I was talking to Michelle, the artistic production, I said, well, maybe they have something on their website. And so she did the research. And sure enough, I mean, immediately they had all kinds of new information on their homepages of due to the coronavirus, um, you can we can you can ask to have the show extended and they weren't for the listening crowd there's all kinds of rules and regulations can we do the show is it being professionally done 30 miles or you know there's all these things about can we get the rights and they were actually allowing a theater to postpone a show and keep the rights and if, if a professional touring thing came up that normally would say no you can't do the show they were still going to let the amateur group do the show so became incredibly, incredibly flexible. We, the two shows we were supposed to do in September and in November of this coming, they, we, you know, we said we're not going to do them for maybe another year. And we got the royalties refunded, which is shocking to yeah. me. Yeah. And they said, well, we haven't even, one was a musical, and they said, we haven't even sent out the, the books yet and we're not. And if you do get them, keep them, which normally... When you rent this, the musical books for a musical, it's a big thing about getting them back on time and shipping them and no marks and stuff. And they said, no, we don't want them back. Because, <laughs> you know, they don't have workers in the warehouse or however. Right. Right. So, yeah, and incredibly generous the, they have been, which is helpful. Yeah. Well, before we shift gears, how can our listeners uh, keep up to date on what's happening at Chapel Street Players? Well, we went after our first decision, we updated that we have a Facebook page and we have our website and we have a mailing list. So for the people who are not, we, we are actually planning in within a week or so to send out a new message to just check on our patrons, our, our loyal fans and 
saying you're doing well, and, and as the state is reopening, we unfortunately cannot reopen with the, the restrictions and guidelines, but we're still thinking of you, and, and, and mention, like I said, we're trying to come up with some other ideas to perhaps do some sort of soft opening that is a single performance or a night of monologues or something safer mm -hmm. performers. And, and yeah, so they can check the website and, and we'll be sending for those on our email list, we'll be sending out something very soon. And the website is chapelstreetplayers.org. Correct. Okay. And they can also look for you on Facebook, right? Yes. And I, I, I think it's just, it's a, it's a, uh, a page, a Facebook page and it's chapel street players. So. Okay. Well, before we shift gears, let me remind our listeners that you are tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Joining me remotely is Scott Mason, the president of Chapel Street Players and an honorary Dame Edna understudy. Let's shift gears, Scott, to your, your professional career as an actor. You go back a few years, I was looking at a um, a listing of some of your performances, everybody from, uh, which DuPont was it you portrayed? The E.I. Du, the founder, E.I. DuPont, yeah. The founder, and I mean, everything from historical uh, characters to fictitious uh, plays, and, or fictitious characters in plays and musicals, and uh, theaters throughout, the, uh, throughout Delaware, uh, and beyond, uh, as well as being a playwright. I mean, your background in theater is quite... Uh, broad and and deep um let's, yeah it's pretty let's, scary let's, <laughs> let's let's go down that road talk a little bit about uh you know your work as as, as an actor because uh as you mentioned earlier with chapel street players a lot of them are you know they're coming into the theater they've got day jobs or they're, they're volunteers but but you also rely on acting as uh, uh as a gig as as a paid employment well, now I do. Great timing. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I'll, it's a lot of history, Paul, and we don't have much time, so I have to consolidate it. I, I essentially, my theater work, I did some theater in high school, and I went to high school in Delaware, but the, the theater career really took off in 1985 in my junior year, and I joined E52 Student Theater at UD and wrote my first play. And then Oh, there's just been so many different roads, working with Joyce Hill Stoner in the 90s and, and doing musicals. And we did a tour, um, two tours with the Delaware Humanities Forum of schools with our plays First Vote about women's suffrage and Tales of the Underground about the Underground Railroad. Uh, it's, and then, um, you know, I, I've been on the board at Drama League and performed, as you mentioned, Candlelight and, and Brandywiners. It's, it's been all over the map. And fell into performing, I suppose to do one gig, Paul, as the Ivy Pond, one, um, for their annual, it was a big launch of their 200th anniversary. And it was supposed to be one appearance to do a little monologue at the, at the uh, DuPont Theater. And that turned into three years of constant gigs. I mean, that, they, I was like the real thing, the real D.I. DuPont back from the dead. Uh, and then 2003, which was shortly right after I got done EI, um, or sort of over, a little bit overlap, I suddenly became Dame Edna impersonator, um, a fluke. And then in 2010, entered a contest in New York sponsored by Playbill Magazine and, and the real Barry Humphreys and Michael Feinstein and 
uh, Michael Musto from the Village Voice, they all were judges and chose Dame Edna's honorary understudy or a publicity gig for the show that Dame and, and Michael Feinstein were doing, which closed shortly after previews. <laughs> so I didn't get to do anything. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was always, that was always my avocation. I mean, for EI and the Dame, I, I, I was professional, meaning I made money for most, and some of the stuff I did with Joyce, but for most part, all the work with local community theaters in the tri-state area is all volunteer. And these 30 years, um, I've been working full-time as a UD professional in the University Student Life Division. And because I had 30 years there, I was allowed to retire and get some benefits, mostly medical, um, not any money yet, because that's all tied up in a 401. And I, I planned, I thought, I really, if I don't pursue the arts full-time and I die, I'm going to be miserable death. So I want to... I want to do this full time. And so I retired in August and I had some gig lines up in the fall. And then I thought, well, in the slowness of January, I will start my own company. I will start doing commercials and I'll start making contacts and I'll, and I got everything lined up. February got my business license in Delaware, got my company's websites. <laughs> got, I was having gigs in March. My, I, I do these mystery tours. I do, lectures, I do healthcare theater. Um, it, was, it was great. It was so exciting. I was doing what I love full time and not dealing with the trials and tribulations of college life. And then, boom. <laughs> I didn't, I planned on getting a new car, a new roof. I had money put away for that. Not a pandemic. The best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> and, and Dame Edna impersonators. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, with your Dame Edna, that has taken you different places, hasn't it? Yeah, it, I, I performed in, in Sedona. I, I, I performed at All Male this Camp in Maryland. Um, I was in a movie along with other impersonators called Just About Famous. It was a short subject documentary, and it won all kinds of awards. It, it you know, Paul, I, and I don't want to say Corona is is not making my life. I say Corona. I wanted to say my life is not dull, and I don't want to say that I'm excited about Corona. But you know, it's just it's it's just one thing after the next. It's it's um, people ask me why I have this weird email address that is i i n o f t i a one and. And people go, I don't, why? It's so long and it makes no sense. And I said, it's an acronym. I got it from my dad. He used, my dad used to have it on his license plate in New York. And it stands for, if it's not one freaking thing, it's another. And I think I've cursed myself because that's been my life. <laughs> so, so, so during this time, I mean, the whole time you've been Dame Edna, you've also been uh, working with Chapel Street Players, uh, you direct as well. I seem to recall seeing you as uh, in a ballet. Were you draw? Oh well, yeah, and that, that's that's yes, that's been oh I, I've you know I've been doing that Paul since 1985, and what Paul's referring to is I, I involved with the Nutcracker with the Delaware Dance Company, a, a fabulous group, and I, I've been involved with that again since college in 1985. It's the longest gig. 
think a couple of years ago, they tried to get me in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most performances as Drosselmeyer. And there's somebody else who has that title and I haven't quite gotten there yet. But I mean, it's been over 20, 25 years of playing Drosselmeyer. Um, oh. And, you know, the people who are my Claras, watching your children grow up, <laughs> people who, the, the young women, or they were children at the time, who were my Claras, um, you know, now they have Claras of their own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, wait, how does that happen? aged how do you have children <laughs> because you know doing the nutcracker every single christmas and i watch these children grow up but there's still more children coming so it's like like your children have grown right and you don't i, I don't think you plan on having a new you know children come through nope <laughs> <laughs> right and go through on our own <laughs> right not you're not going to go through that cycle of parenting again you, you right. have all the milestones, the graduation, the birth, the gra you know. But for me, because every time I go back, I'm there, you know, there's a new batch of little kids in the party scene, a new batch of little mice. So the story keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? So my, my, my being, oh, Uncle Drosselmeyer, they call me Mr. Drosselmeyer offstage. They don't even know who I am. I mean, I'm, I'm, to them, I'm this real magician thing. Like if they see me in the food store, or around town, the little kids freak out because I'm just dressed as me, you know, shorts and a t-shirt and no eye patch and no crazy hair. And they go, oh, that's, that's Mr. Drosselmeyer. What? He looks different. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's fun. Well, that, that is a, a great story to end on. Scott, it's, it's been real, a, a real delight chatting with you today. And we, we all look forward to the, the day we can get out and, and be, yes. involved, be involved in live theater again. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Paul, and, and best of luck to all your listeners and, and fellow uh, performing arts groups.